today, welcome to today's Iron Chef competition from the Wyma House. Our competitors for the day are Lucy Wyma, Sally Wyma. Each of these competitors will be cooking and a cook-off today. Lucy, what, what will you be making for us? Pumpkin chocolate chip. Pumpkin chippers. And in the recipe is, we have, for today's recipe, we have three, two eggs, one cup of sugar, a half a cup of oil, a half a cup of applesauce, a half a cup of whole wheat flour, which is very important, one teaspoon baking powder, a teaspoon baking soda, a teaspoon of cinnamon, a half, well, those are all half teaspoons, a half teaspoon of salt, and a cup of mini chips. Good luck, Lucy. Good luck to you today. And here's Sally. Sally, what will you be making? Oatmeal chocolate chip cookies. Oatmeal chocolate chip cookies. Can you tell us what's in your recipe? Three, four sticks of soft butter, one egg, half teaspoon of vanilla, a half cup of sugar, a half cup of brown sugar, a cup of flour, a half teaspoon baking soda, half baking powder, salt, chocolate chips, and you'll be cooking it on this pan? Sally, how do you feel? Good. You think you're going to win? Yes. I'm going to win. And what is your name? Brock. Brock. And what will you be making today in the Iron Chef contest? Brownies. Brownies. And here it is, ladies and gentlemen, the secret brownie recipe. Mm. It doesn't involve that Pringle package. <laughs> it's two sticks of melted butter, four eggs, a teaspoon of vanilla, two cups of sugar, a half a cup of cocoa, one and three quarters cup of flour, and a half a teaspoon of salt, and a little kid. All right, people. Let the competition begin. You have 25 minutes. While I talk to these ladies, these nice ladies about the book of Isaiah, at the end of the 25 minutes, we will judge your product and we will have a winner. And in the Wyma house, we will have the Wyma Iron Chef. Begin. Okay. While they're cooking downstairs, doing the Wyma Iron Chef, why don't we take a minute to look at Isaiah 1 through 6? which is what we're here for today. Now, I know it's a snow day and y'all aren't here and you've probably, some of you have picked up your materials and some of you haven't, but I just wanted to show you that when you get your materials, this is what we're using today. We're using this and we're using the commentary, okay? These two items, right there. And in the, in the front of your book, there's a sticker that tells you exactly how to go through it. So that all you have to do is answer the questions at the end of each chapter and then look at these every single week. If you take a moment just to look at these questions that are in the front of your book, that would be great. It centers first on number one, getting your mind right when you, when you begin the study, which is asking the Lord to open your eyes and ears so that you can see and hear what it is that he has to say to you. And then very simply reading the message, answering the questions, and uh, considering for a moment how that would apply to your life and taking one of our favorite questions from last semester, and that is to look at a verse that affected you and to share it with the people in your group because that is really helpful. I think everyone found that so helpful. So since you didn't get to do that today with your small group, maybe consider even sharing the verse next week of what really hit you in Isaiah 1 through 6. So before we begin, let's ask the Lord to open our eyes and ears, which we do, Lord God, just ask that you'll open our eyes and our ears to your word today. Show us yourself so that we can grow and in knowing you and thus hopefully grow in our ability to be able to serve you. In Jesus' name, amen. When we look at uh, a big chunk of scripture like we'll be doing every week, it's great to put it into context so that you can get an idea of where you are, and it might help you be able to apply it to yourself. And uh, it takes it just a little extra. So what we're going to do today is consider the context. 
the, fi the five W's, the who, what, when, where, and why. And then we will look at a very another special letter at the end, which is H, which is what this talk is about. And uh, it's a little lesson in the big H. So let's look at the who. Who is this that we're, that's a part of this book that we're studying? We have the who of who is the author. Well, the author is Isaiah, who is one of four major prophets that the Lord used to share what was going to happen to his people. And uh, we have the audience. Who, who is he speaking with? It's clear in uh, verse uh, chapter 1 and verse 1 where Isaiah tells us that he is talking to uh, Jerusalem the city of Jerusalem, and the kingdom of Judah. That's really who his message is to. You can look at, I, I've provided, I hope that you get, just a chart, a simple chart that goes over the major prophets and who they spoke to and the period of time that they lived in. Isaiah uh, was one that it's, it's a longer book, and like Lucina said last week, we're gonna we, we are gonna kind of buzz through it. But in that buzzing through, you will get to see the picture of exactly what God is dealing with, and uh, it's really the story that began at the that, that started at the beginning of time, and it's a story about a people that were created by a, by a loving God who chose to rebel against him, who chose to be self-centered and selfish and arrogant, who chose their way over his way. And in doing so, they separated themselves from him. And it's a story of the creator who loved his creation so that he pursued them to the point of self-sacrifice so that he could be with them. And the wrestling of uh, dealing with a just God trying to bring back into his presence an unjust people. So that's who the who is, okay? We will uh, also look at the what and the when and the where. The when, the dates of this book are from 740 to 680 B.C., and the where is in Judah and Jerusalem during the times of kings Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. You can look back at the end of Kings and at the end of Chronicles, Second Chronicles, Second Kings and Second Chronicles, to uh, get a great picture of these kingdoms within which Isaiah lived. Um, Isaiah was a man of God during that time, which Lucina shared with last week. The Lord used prophets to share His words, and so that's where Isaiah found himself in the middle of sharing this great and very ominous message that was coming to these people. One thing that we can't forget as we read this, there's one other who that's involved, and that's us. Because whether we like it or not, we're right smack dab in the middle of those rebellious people. So as we go through and we'll see nation after nation um, being rebuked, let's not forget that we're right there in the middle of exactly what those people are doing. And that we too are the ones that the Lord seeks after and relentlessly pursues because his love is so great for us. This is a um, one thing too is to, to note that, that as Isaiah uh, stood there, he knew exactly who his redemption was, and that was Jesus Christ. John very clearly in his gospel shares with us uh, some of the words that Isaiah spoke. In chapter 12 of John, he says, For this reason they could not believe, because as Isaiah says in chapter 6, he has blinded, meaning God, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts so that they can neither see with their eyes nor understand with their hearts nor turn where he would heal them. And uh, it's important for us to know that this is who that this is who God is speaking to, which is a lot of us too. And right after that, John, in an interesting way, shares this little fact. Isaiah said this because, quote, he saw Jesus' glory and spoke about him. Isn't that fascinating? 
Just let that sink in for a minute. How could he have seen Jesus? And how could he be have learned from him and spoke about him? But Jesus wasn't even alive yet. Oh, that's pretty powerful to know that your Lord and Savior is so powerful that his life and his redemption reaches beyond time. Now that's amazing when you consider that about God. He's talking to us. He's talking to me. His words aren't bound by time. Jesus' presence is as real as when Isaiah fell terrified before the throne years before his birth. Let's rest in that for a moment. As we consider around us the craziness of the world, the things that we like to get caught up in, whether it's those things that I, I tend to grapple with, whether my child is doing well enough in school, whether they're getting to participate in as many things as I would like to participate in, go on trips, drive whatever car, be in whatever preschool, all those things that we let the world just swirl around us and whirl and, and consume our thoughts. That's where we need to rest for a minute and think about what is consuming my thoughts? How am I putting my thoughts in the world ahead of what the Lord teaches me is true? How can I believe and rest in his truth? How can I understand him and know him so that I can really grasp what it is and rest in him instead of letting it be something that is about me? Even as I read scripture, to be careful when I'm reading scripture, not to be reading it as a, a, a book telling me what to do and not to do, but maybe potentially for a second, letting me see who God is. One thing that's very interesting in this book of Isaiah that you will find many, many times is that God himself is speaking. Maybe even take some time to underline those time, the, the, the spots where you find God actually speaking and speaking about himself. And it will help you grow in knowledge of who he is so that when you hit those bumps in life and you wonder, what does it mean to trust in him? What does it mean to pray without anxiety and to um, be, have, feel the peace which passes all understanding? How does, how does that work? It works because the peace that passes all understanding comes in knowing him. And right here in this book, you get ample opportunity to hear from his mouth exactly what he's talking about. Okay, so look and uh, grammatically look and see where the quotes begin and where the quotes end. Um, chapter one, let's go to the what. What is Isaiah talking to? He's describing to us a sinful nation. Okay, he begins with in verse in chapter one, hear me. You heavens, listen earth, for the Lord has spoken. I reared children and brought them up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its master, the donkey its owner, its owner's manager, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. And then the Lord goes so far in verses 9 and 10 to actually compare Judah and Jerusalem to Sodom and Gomorrah. Not only indirectly compare them, but directly, which let me tell you, those people knew exactly what he was talking about. And I, I can only imagine how offended they would have been to be compared to them. And then thinkable. Because they're going to the Lord all the time. They know God. The truth is, they knew a lot about God, but they did not know God. God goes on to tell them in verse 11, The multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me? Says the Lord, I have more than enough of burnt offerings of rams and fattened animals. I have no pleasure in the bulls and lambs and goats. When you come to appear before me, who has asked you this of you, this trampling of my cord? Stop bringing meaningless offerings. They were coming to him 
thinking they knew him, but they did not know him. Because God looks at the heart of man, which is very consistent. We can go back to Genesis and see the exact same thing going on when God is uh, approached by Cain and Abel in in Genesis 4, 2 through 7. Now Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. Abel, on the other hand, also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Sound similar? It's a little bit like these folks that we've looked at Judah and Jerusalem just coming to them with their sacrifices and what you're not going to accept those how what does that mean it shouldn't be right as as Cain is angry and look downcast and the Lord said to Cain why are you angry why is your face face down case cast if you do what is right will you not be accepted but if you do not do what is right sin is crouching at the door it desires to have you but you must rule over it then and that's in Genesis. Let's go back to Isaiah. And the Lord encourages these people in Jerusalem and Judah the exact same way. He says in verse 18, Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. And then he says to them, and this is so beautiful, Come now, let us reason together. He never asks us to do it alone, ever, says the Lord. Says the Lord. Come, let us reason together. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are as red as crimson, they shall be like wool. What an incredible promise. And then he follows it up with really the key. If you are willing and obedient, you will eat the best from the land. Think about that as you approach your time with the Lord. Am I willing Am I available? Is there margin in my schedule to be available? Am I obedient? Or am I following am I following what I want? Or am I putting the Lord's desires ahead of my own? The New Testament, we see the same thing. Jesus more than once said the exact same words to the Pharisees. He even in Matthew he said, Now then you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and the dish. You look great on the outside, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You foolish people. Did not the one who made the outside also make the inside? He knows very well exactly what's going on. In Isaiah 2, we, we see it continue in Isaiah 3. As, as Isaiah moves on from, from sharing God's exact words to sharing what he's seeing, and it's overwhelming to see what these people are doing it's, uh, and the destruction, what's coming, is uh, overwhelming to him. He keeps his he shares with them. See now the Lord Almighty is about to take from Jerusalem and Judah both supply and support, all supplies of food and supplies of water. And it's gonna hit everybody. The hero, the warrior, the judge, the prophet, the diviner, the elder, the captain of fifty, the person of rank, the counselor, the skilled worker, the clever enchanter. Use oppress my people. Women rule over them. And the leaders, the teachers are leading you astray. They turn you from the path. Okay, it's uh, one thing that we need to know about God is that he is just. We learn of that in, in verse 16 of chapter 5. But the Lord Almighty will be exalted by his justice and the Holy God will be proved by his righteous acts. And there, ladies, is the conundrum. You have a just God who can be nothing but just. In his presence, 
he can have no sin. And yet he desires these people to be in his presence because he created them and he loved them. He created you. He created me. And he desires us to be in his presence. And yet we can't do that because he is a just God and he can't contradict himself. And there comes in the need for the atonement, the need for someone to redeem us. One example I have of just my own growing in knowledge of what it means to come to God with a true heart happened a few years ago when I was volunteering in an organization and I happened to be volunteering with a friend of mine that had been an old friend we'd lost contact because we were in different stages of life and I was so excited to get to know her again and we happened to be on the same team and um I noticed about about the same time every week, I was getting a phone call from her. And I was so excited to get to talk to her again. But we just weren't going. There wasn't a whole lot of talking. It just sort of didn't go very far. And then I realized that it really was about the same time every week. And that the questions were just kind of rote questions. And it dawned on me that the only reason why she was calling me was because she had to. It was part of her role in this organization. And I, I and this was a good friend. And I have to tell you, it kind of broke my heart because I thought, ah, she's just calling me because she has to. How often do I do that with my approach to God? Do I go to church because I because I have to? Do I spend time in scripture because I feel like I have to? Do I go through the motions without letting my heart be a part of that? It's well worth thinking about as I consider what God is telling these people about their futile sacrifices coming into his presence. How am I coming into his presence? And then Isaiah in his beautiful chapter 4, which is only 6 verses. It's terrific. The thing that he tells us in chapter 4 really starts um, in verse 2 when he says, as he is just sharing all that is coming, he says, In that day the branch of the Lord, which is Jesus, will be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the land will be the pride and glory of the survivors of Israel. Those who are left in Zion will remain in Jerusalem. We called holy all who are recorded among the living in Jerusalem. The Lord will wash away the filth of the women of Zion. He will cleanse the bloodstains from Jerusalem by a spirit of judgment and a spirit of fire. The Lord will create over Mount Zion, over all those assembly, there is a cloud of smoke by day and a glow of flaming fire by night. Over everything, the glory will be a canopy. I look so forward to that day, of the day when it will be a canopy. His glory will be a canopy over us. And the neat thing is, is that even though we can't see it, His glory is a canopy over us because we couldn't enter His presence if it wasn't a canopy over us. His atonement is complete, and that's why we can come into his presence. May we rest in that and understand it and grasp that. Because if you grasp that, when the waves are coming and life is hitting you, it won't rock your boat as much as it will if you can't grasp it. And the only way to grasp that is to know the one who has authored it all. And he's showing so much of himself through these six chapters. He's showing that he's just. He's showing that he loves us. He's showing that he cannot be in the presence of sin. He's showing us that he is the creator, that he knows it all. He knows our hearts behind it all. And that's a part of what Isaiah's message is. He follows it with the woes in chapter 5, the woes to the people and what exactly they were doing. So much of it centered on pride and selfishness. But he was very quick 
to to say that these people were messing with his vineyard, with the Lord's vineyard. Y'all can look in Matthew 21 and look at the parable. For a moment, spend some time in, in your Bible and go, where else can I find something about that, that matches this story? Because that's one thing about Scripture. If you find it, you're going to find it other places. It is true everywhere. And that's beautiful because Matthew had not even been uh, imagined to, to be able to talk about what he talked about, or uh, Luke, or, or John, or Mark. And yet they all, they all work together. They tell the same story because God's story is the beginning, is the same from the very beginning in Genesis to the end in Revelation. It is the story of his love for us. And we get to see how the tenants of that vineyard in Matthew did not treat it right. In fact, they obliterated everybody that came. And, and they ended up killing the son of the owner of the vineyard, just in the same way that, that uh, the Pharisees did when Jesus came. And Isaiah is very clear to say, Woe to those who mess with the Lord's vineyard. And woe, there are six uh, groups of people that are woed in this chapter. Woe to those who add house to house and joining field to field till no space is left and you live alone in the land. That could speak a lot to us that think that it's about acquiring things that is important. It isn't. Woe to those who rise early in the morning to run after drinks and pleasure themselves. It's not about pleasuring myself. It's not about me being happy. Woe to those who are lying wicked, who say, let God hurry and let him hasten his work so we may see it. Because I want it to happen in my time and I want it to happen my way. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. And we see that everywhere we are right now where we live during the time that we live in. And honestly, it's happened again from the very beginning of time. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes lest we be that way. Woe to those who are drunk and corrupt. And he follows that with the therefore. And the therefore is justice will prevail. And the nation will be sieged. And that's where we will see this book lead to, is the nation being sieged, because God's justice is promised. Chapter 6 is so interesting. Chapter 6 normally in books would be chapter 1, because chapter 6 introduces the author. Isaiah was so overcome that with, with the word that had been shared with him, he's sharing that first, and then it's like, oh yeah, over here, here I am. And chapter 6 has several H's in it, one of which is hope. Hope, which is what the chapter ends with. But as the ter and, and this is after the justice has been proclaimed. But as the terebinth and the oak leave stumps, which are trees, when they are cut down, so the holy seed will be the stump in the land. He doesn't leave us without hope. The stump and the seed are there because life will continue to, to go. Life with him and life in his presence. There's the big H. And you might ask, what might be the big H? Well, the big H is humility, which our, our author has a big dose of. As you can see, even in the placement of describing who the author is, you can see as he uh, describes himself in the presence of the throne of the Lord, he is very humble. As he stands in front of that throne, Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lip and lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the Lord. 
he knows his end, his doom is there because he's in the presence of the Lord. Clearly, he knows where he stands with God and he's humble before the Lord. The definition of humility really is centered on thinking less of ourselves, not thinking thinking less about ourselves, not thinking less of ourselves, I'm sorry, but thinking about ourselves less. As we think about ourselves less, we open our mind and provide the availability to think about others and to consider God, which is what Isaiah did. There's the H is coming, whether you, whether you buy into it or not. The Lord is clear about that in chapter 2. The eyes of the arrogant will be humbled, and human pride brought low. The Lord alone will be exalted in that day. The Lord Almighty has a day in store for the proud and the lofty, for all that exalt, they're exalted, and they will be brought low. But the question is, how do we do it? He says to us in chapter 2, Stop trusting in human beings but who have but a breath in their nostrils. Why hold them in this team? Why put what the world thinks ahead of what God thinks? Stop trusting in all of that. Instead, like Isaiah, when, when the question is asked, who am I going to send? Be the one standing there saying, here am I. Send me. Remember at the beginning, we learned about being willing and obedient. Here we go. This is what Isaiah did. And then there's the beauty after that, because you might think, how could I do that? I'm not, I'm not good at those things. We see that throughout scripture. Moses, first thing he said, I can't do that. I can't speak. Did God leave anybody alone? Has he ever once said, go do this? I'll see you on the other side. Never. He always says, I will go with you. In Luke 21, 15, we see specifically for I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. Jesus told his disciples as they faced the, the, the duty of going out and doing what he had called them to do. He said, but when they arrest you, don't worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time you will be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. You don't ever have to do it alone. So what can we do? We can spend our time, when you come before him in the study, empty yourself, be obedient, be willing, be available. Do it every day. Don't do it because you have to, like these group did, offering sacrifices that were just surface. Go because you want to. Go and ask him, show me yourself. Please, show me yourself. So that you won't do what he tells us not to do, and that is to trust in man. Because... They just have breath in their nostrils. Who is the one that breathed in their nostrils to begin with to give them life? That's who we should consider. And that's what I hope we all do as we enter this book of Isaiah, that we will learn about God, that we will learn about his story, that we'll learn about his love for us, that we'll learn about his justice, about his truth, about his unwavering approach to us and to life. So that when I get into those rough waters, I won't be tempted to be trusting in man, but I'll run to the safety and the very firm and solid foundation, who is God and God alone. Let's pray. We do ask, Lord, that you will just pierce our hearts and that you will help us grow in knowledge of you so that we can serve you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, ladies, let's go downstairs and see how the cooking
has gone. Okay, here's Brock with his creation. Brock, can you tell us what you made? Brown. All right, here we go. And here are our judges. What's your name? Okay, and Jack. Jack. Shelly. And me. I don't know if that worked very well. <laughs> All right, put it down. We're going to do a little taste test. Oh, it's like an L. All right, here we go. Jack, would you like to taste? Take one. Take that one, Jack. Okay, I'm going to taste Shelly. What? Would you like to go on? This one is mine. Of mm. sure. That one's mine. Okay. That one. That one. That one's mine. Just let him eat it. I want that one though. <laughs> Can I have that one? Right. <laughs> it's okay, Judge. Okay, what do you think? What do you think about that? Jack? Is that yummy? Mm -hmm. Do you like it? Mm -hmm. mm, the texture is good, Shelly. Positively delicious. Delicious. Well done. Mm. I do like it. It's got a nice texture. Mm -hmm. mm. The balance of flavors that one. is delicious. Nobody tasted that one. Yeah, the frosting looks kind of... So the frosting, <laughs> I probably wouldn't... Okay, so Brock, we thought it was delicious. The frosting, we maybe could have lived without. <laughs> but on the whole, delicious. Okay, next person... Oh, get a towel for Jack. Here comes Sally. Yes, go get a towel. <gasps> Lovely. And Sally, what is it that you made? Uh, chocolate oatmeal cookies. Chocolate oatmeal cookies. Oh, they look delicious. Okay, Jack, would you like to try one of these? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well. He's got to clean his palate. Okay. Oops. All right, just grab a cookie. Mm, okay. I, I can do that. And what do you think about that? Delicious. Okay, Shelly. All right, here we go. First bite. Okay, do it again. Sorry. Oh, wash my eyes. <laughs> wash my eyes. Oh, delish. So good. Delicious. So good. All right, let me try it. Look at the chocolate morsels. Yes, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. This is what mm. this show is all about. Yes, Del I agree. Delicious. Yes. Very nice, Sally. Thank you mm. so much for Very delicious. Okay, next. Our Who next contestant. Oh, and here she comes. <laughs> the grand up. presentation. Oh, lovely. Mm. The presentation already is just... Ten points. Oh, yes. Look at that. And Great. what did you make, Lucy? I made pumpkin chocolate chip muffins. Mm, okay. And I had icing for decorations, which I would prefer not eating. Okay. <laughs> And uh, did you have any trouble with your recipe? <laughs> yes, actually, um, this crazy lady, um, I forgot her name, it was like um, Fairy God Brother, uh -huh. and um, she messed up my recipe. Did she forget to have some ingredients? Yes, he forgot to oh, okay. put some ingredients. Shame, in but you overcame. Apparently you over, over, overcame. No, the... no, his name was... Um, Momther. Oh, Momther. Thank you. <laughs> oh, are you done with that? Okay. Well, it's a good thing you're a forgiving chef. Yes, and okay. She'll tell you what we Here made. you go. Jack, try one of these. <laughs> <laughs> mm. 
no, I'm with back. Oh, and what did you think about that? Did you like that? Yeah. Okay, Shelly. Well, I think I will take the same muffin. You will? No. no. All right, here we go. I'm very excited about these. I love pumpkin. Healthy, delicious. Mm. Very good. Job. Again. Again, I just have no words. I'm not so sure she's going to be a very good judge. Yeah. Okay, here. I'm, I'm pretty easy to please when it comes to desserts. Oh, yes. Here we go. Well, now, you do see a little of the yes. icing. Yes. Well, Delicious. Mm. Thank you, Mom, sir. Very good. Oh. Okay, Jack, <laughs> can you get off the table? Yeah. Apparently, he would like more. All right. Which is the best? Which was your favorite? It's really hard to choose. I mean, this would be a great, like, with a cup of coffee in the morning. Okay. Because it's not as sweet as... Oh, come on. Cookie. Which one would you choose? Probably... The brownie. Oh, yeah, the, the brownie. brownie. The brownie. Okay. Jack, which did you like the best? The brownie. Oh, two uh -oh. for the brownie. I have to say, for me, it was a tie between the cookie and the muffin. I'm allowed to do that. Apparently, I'm not allowed to do that. <laughs> but since there's already been two votes for the brownie, <laughs> the brownie wins! The brownie wins! the cooks we celebrate all of the cooks they did an excellent job the brownie yeah. win Hooray. that means you get to clean up the whole kitchen yeah. <laughs> yeah. thank you thank you for our waima iron chefs and now we need to go clean off the hands the sign of good food